If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make joy... Wait. Make, then make my joy complete by being like-minded and having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition, ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also into the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted himself to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name and that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus is Christ Lord to the glory of God the Father. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. It is um, with great joy that I'm here today. I love not having feedback on my microphone. <laughs> Are we good? All right. I will try not to look down, but I might. As I was uh, asked to do this, I began to think, Lord, what, what is it that you would have me to say? What is it, Lord, that you would have me to share? And as I began to look and to think, and as I talked with Pastor Gordon, and he told me what to say. No, I'm just kidding. Um, Philippians 2 came to his mind and came to my mind at almost exactly the same time. And as I began reflecting more and more on this, I actually came to the understanding of something that I actually kind of misnamed my sermon title. You don't have to scratch it out, but you can if you want. Because as I began to look at this scripture and as I began to think about the whole crux of what this is really talking about, my eyes were drawn to this last verse. 
and to the last part of this verse. To the glory of God the Father. Now, I don't know if you can understand what I've been through in, in looking at this and examining the different parts, but I ask you to think about in your own life, why are you alive today? To the glory of God the Father. Why is it that people have died in the past serving God to, to, the, to the glory of God the Father? Why does the newborn baby cry to the glory of God the Father? Why do we struggle with losing jobs and getting jobs to the glory of God the Father? Can you see today that no matter what circumstances you face, no matter how old or young you are, no matter if you're reading Scripture and you don't say it just right, to the glory of God the Father. And I think that is the, that's the point of what it means to be a servant of God. We know and understand that servant in the New Testament had a couple of different meanings. One being doulos, meaning literally bond servant. And the other, the other being diaconus, meaning deacon or minister. These are, these, both of these words, within both of these words, there's really no difference. It is the understanding that the person who has called, who's been called to be a servant or is a servant is not their own property. And we know each of us that we were bought with a price and we are not our own. We were bought by, with a price to serve our master's needs to be at his beck and call every moment. The slave's sole business is to do as he is told. Christian service, therefore, first and foremost, means living out a slave relationship to one's Savior. That was found in James Packard's book, Your Father Loves You. So as we begin this morning... I ask you to examine your life, to think about what God has for you today. Where are you in the process of serving Him? Where are you in the process of serving others? I'm going to examine briefly a little of the church of Philippi and some things they may have been facing. Place yourself there. Think about what God might have for you this morning and how he may be encouraging you to be more of a servant to God, be the glory. Holy Father, I thank you for this morning, and I thank you for how you are speaking to us. Lord, as we continue on now, I pray that you will work and move as only you can. I thank you for this moment in time that you've given me to share your word, and I pray now that you will work that you will move, and that you will speak. And that it may be to the glory of God the Father. Amen. So um, I have a little house cleaning business, I guess. You notice that my daughter and I are here, Sands, uh, Beth, and Isaiah. Isaiah began to have some itching and some possible rashing uh, a couple of days ago, and now he's more itchy and more rashy, and 
we were hoping it wasn't poison ivy, but my son came up with a brilliant idea this morning. Dad, what if I have chicken pox? Oh, really? <laughs> um, well, it's kind, of, it's kind of funny that he would bring it up because he has a temperature of between 100 and 101. Now, we gave him a, a chickenpox vaccination uh, when he was a, a baby in New York, but obviously that may not have taken. So right now, Beth is at home with Isaiah, who's got a rash and who has a fever, and we're hoping that it's not chickenpox, but we'll see. So that's where Beth and Isaiah are this morning, but I'm, I'm so thankful, and I feel so blessed to have my daughter here, and her willingness to come up and, and, and read scripture. Um, you know, uh, Elena, I, I don't want to talk about you too much, but I want to talk to Holland later about a seven-year-old girl with a stubborn heart who doesn't mind being up in front of people, <laughs> because I have a feeling that you may be able to give me some advice if Elena someday decides to come up here and do this. So, um, but I, I am here, and I am very thankful that God has laid this on my heart. As we look at this scripture, uh, open up your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. I'm going to read through the first four verses and just generally lay out some, some thoughts. Before I do that, I want to talk about Philippi the church at Philippi, what the, the history behind it. And just briefly, we know that um, in 356 B.C., there's a gentleman by the name of Philip II of Macedon who actually took over this town and named it after himself, this area and named it after himself. We know that it was rich in gold and silver mines and that it was a seaport. So we know that this area was very wealthy and we know that there was great importance. Later on, in uh, about 200 years later, in 168, it was taken by the Romans. And even a little bit later on, in 42 BC, there were actually two major battles. One between Brutus Cassius and one between Octavian Anthony. Well, we know in history that Octavian won, ultimately. And as he was being named Augustus Caesar, we realized that he saw the importance of Philippi. And he made it an actual Roman colony, which means he told a bunch of people whether it be soldiers and or citizens, to say, go down here and inhabit this, and anyone who lives in this, in this area would be Roman citizens. So we know that this is, the, this is the history behind. We also have seen that there are actually, in archaeological finds, there are coins that literally say this, that Philippi was the first city. It was not the capital of the area, but it was of great importance. And so we know that when Paul had his, um, Paul and Silas had their missionaries journeys there in about 52 A.D., we know that there are three specific converts that came from this that are told to us in Acts chapter 16. One being Lydia, the one who was a dealer of purple cloth, a woman of wealth who had probably been con consumed by worldly things but had turned to God and was following God, but when she met Paul, she realized what she really needed and what she was really missing. The second we know of is found also in Acts, and this is the one of the slave girl who could divine spirits, who could understand spirits. And there was, it's, if you want to look it up sometimes, it's very interesting. In Acts 16, we know that she followed them around for a couple of days, this little slave girl, yelling out. All she could do was say, 
These are messengers of the Most High God. And they have a message for, essentially, they have a message for you. They, they are giving you the truth. They want to give you life. And she did this over and over and over again until Paul so, got so tired of it, he turned around and said, the Spirit within you, come out. I command you to come out in the name of Jesus. And that got him into a lot of trouble because the people who had this little girl were using her for, for their own profit and benefit. And so they were subsequently imprisoned because the crowd was riled up against them. And we know that within prison, another miraculous thing happened. We know the third specific conversion in Philippi, and that would be of the jailer, that they were held in this jail, and that through an earthquake and a series of God working and moving, they were freed. And the jailer, wanting to take his own life, was stopped by Paul and said, no, 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 no. God has come this day for salvation. And they preached the good news. And this jailer, who knew nothing of God, was saved. And all of his household and all of his family were saved that day. And we know that through the circumstances in that, that Paul was released. And he was um, able to go on later and, and to, uh, to actually come back one more time. We know that this book was written approximately between 62 and 63 A.D. It was while Paul was in prison in Rome, coming near the end of his life. And it was written specifically as a thank you, but also as an encouragement to the, to the church at Philippi. If, I, if you were to examine the different books that were written, the, the prison books, I guess you would call them, to the different churches, you would see that Philippi probably had the least problems. There's not a real strong directive in this about what exactly the problem, the, the specific problems that they had, but it would be that they were, as most of the churches, were infiltrated by Christians and or Jews that caused them to become conceited. And they began to argue and fight over who was best or who knew right or um, who knew more. So there wasn't, um, there was, there's no speaking of, of major horrible sins and, and terrible things going on. But we know that Paul was concerned for the church at Philippi. And so as he writes this, his encouragement is great. And his admonishment is very, very little. So let's open it up now. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should, not only, should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. We see Paul telling them a bunch of do, do this, continue to do this, encourage as you are unified in Christ. If you have fellowship in the Spirit, if there is tenderness and compassion, Paul, you can sense that Paul has a deep love for these people, that God has really grabbed a hold of many of these people's hearts and they are truly changed and they are truly challenging the world around them. This morning, I ask you, as a servant of God, 
Can you live as one? Point number one, live as one. God is calling you to live as one. God is calling you to put away the petty differences, the problems, the things you may be facing, and to realize that God has called us to live together, to be unified in His name. Servant leader. Kind of an oxymoron, I guess. Because you think servant being slave, leader. But we see time and time again in Scripture, that's exactly what God has called us to. To consider others better than ourselves. Now, this is the problem I've seen happen time and time again in church. Considering better than others, considering others better than yourself, becomes the God. That is, I am more humble than someone else. I am more concerned. I pray more. I do more. Therefore, God loves me more. Be careful of that trap, servants. Be careful that you don't make that the God, because I will tell you this, that is not to the glory of God the Father. So what do we do? What is the balance? Selfishness, selflessness, what is the balance? We see here perfectly as we, as we blend into the next. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves, not just your own interests, but also the interests of others. And then Paul could have stopped there and said, do this, and that is good enough. But Paul, being Paul, knew that there had to be an example. And these next verses, 5 through 11, it's actually believed by some scholars that this was actually an early hymn, an early Christian hymn. That Actually, that was literally something that was sung. And the reason why is because of the way it's written, the way there's a rhyme, the way there, there's a movement to it. It appears to some that it may have actually been a hymn. And as you read it and you think about it, you can see the ebb and the flow. And you can see when it, when it begins to talk about Christ and His attitude. You can see how it begins at the top and it gets lower and lower and lower and lower. And then, and then, and then. To the glory of God the Father. So let's get into it. Point two, attitude is everything. I want to do a sidestep for a second and just say, this isn't, when I say attitude is everything, that's taking a popular cliche and applying it to Scripture. I'm not doing that this morning. I'm actually going to step aside for a second and talk about being positive and being negative. I want to say this today. I am not a motivational speaker. I'm a servant of God. And there are motivational speakers, and there are ministers who are motivational speakers who will say, if you are positive enough, if your attitude is positive, then God can work in you. And if your attitude is negative, then God cannot. I say to you this, not one man, woman, or child has ever gone to heaven because they're positive. I'm positive of that. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of hearing, if I am positive, then God loves me. And if I'm negative, then somehow I have wiped away the whole process of Jesus Christ coming to earth and dying and, and rising. I, I've, just, I've totally wiped that away because I have a negative attitude. You cannot go to hell because you have a negative attitude. 
whoa, whoa, kind of stepping on, stepping on some toes here, Paul. Wait a minute. Sometimes when I'm around people with a negative attitude, it's like being in hell. Well, I understand that. But the, but the death of Jesus Christ and the power of the resurrection supersedes whether I feel positive or I feel negative. Now, what I will tell you is this. It is a whole lot easier to be around someone who's positive. It is a whole lot easier to be around someone who's positive. And I believe God is calling us to be people who will be like Him. So when we read in Scripture that Jesus wept, and we read in Scripture that Jesus took amounts of time away by Himself, and we read in Scripture that Jesus was in the garden, and He said, not my will, but your will be done, I'm pretty sure Jesus wasn't totally positive all the time. I think he had some really negative feelings. I think he got tired. I think he got sick and tired of seeing the Pharisees continue to display godlessness in his father's house. But we see the positive. We see Jesus. We, we see just, we can pluck from Scripture Jesus sitting down and these children starting to gather around and all the people around him shoving the children away and saying, nah, you don't, no, leave him alone, don't bother him. And Jesus is like, uh-uh, uh-uh, uh these children come to me. That's the kind of positive that Jesus is. He takes the things in life that we think aren't positive and in his holiness and in his perfectness, He sees the heart of the situation. And no matter if I feel sad or I feel happy, God is still God to the glory of God the Father. So the attitude. Attitude is everything. So let's let's go to, to what I think it's talking about. And it is this. It is that we are being made new in His image. The attitude of a person, whether they choose to live in their own selfish way or if they choose to live for Him. I, I, I say to you this, um, Paul, how can, I, how can I judge what my attitude should be? Well, I find right here in Hebrews 4.12, it says this, this very, very clearly, and it says it in His Word, and I think that should be our first benchmark to, ha- to having an attitude of Christ, and that is this. For the Word of God is living and active. It is sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to divide the soul and the spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. If you want a real understanding of what attitude is, you get in His Word. And if you call yourself a Christian and you're not in His Word, you are missing the mark. You are missing the point as to what God is calling you to, the depth of relationship that God is calling you to. We read something else in Romans 6.6, 6, For we know that our old self was crucified with Him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Ephesians 4.20 says this, You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of Him and were taught in accordance with Him, with the truth in Jesus Christ. You were ta- taught with regards to your former way of life, to put off your old self. Do you see the attitude there? Do you see the attitude adjustment? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if I have a flat tire or if, I have, I, or if they're bald or I don't know. It doesn't matter. 
There's something deeper than all the physical stuff that we face. I really wanted my wife and son here. I really wanted them there. But you know what? I'm so glad that my daughter's here. I really want things just a little bit better. But you know what? That's the old self. Putting off the old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness, to the glory of God the Father. To the glory of God the Father. Servants, servant heart, very important. But I encourage you to find your attitude in His Word. To find your attitude in the fact that God is changing you. And if you feel negative, you're not condemned to hell. And if you feel positive, you're not any closer to heaven. Because it is God moving in you that changes you. It is not based upon a feeling or a circumstance or a situation. And here we have it. These, these, um, these last two points, I love these. And, and this is where the, I really can see where it was an early hymn. I, I'm not, I don't know the tune. And by my singing skills, I'm not going to try to make one up. But you know what? As we were singing the song, How Great Thou Art, this, this is really it. This is really it. I don't really need to say anything more. I can just tell you the two points, and we can, we can shut it and go home. Because how great thou art says it all. And Mark, as your attachment to how great thou art is to your children, the attachment is to my mother. And on Memorial Day, it's interesting that that would come to mind. And you didn't see me back there, but the, t- the tears were coming down because, no offense to, to anyone here, but she used to hit this note at the end, and it was like, wow. Yeah, it was like, wow. And I love to see her in the choir because I was ashamed of my mom a lot, but when she got in the choir, I was like, yep, that's my mom. That's my mom. My mom didn't really put on makeup. She didn't really perfume herself. She didn't ever have earrings. She didn't hardly ever, she never wore a necklace. She just was mom. She had nine children. But, when, but what I can see in her life is the heart of a servant. And so me being frustrated or angry at my mom for not treating me the way I feel like she should doesn't really help. God has shown me that through my mother a little glimpse of what being a servant really is. So let's look at it. I'm going to read 6 through 11. This is the word of the Lord. Who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider, him, consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the, gave him, gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The third point, obedience to death. We see in this first part, and, and I actually kind of like 
uh, what the King James says. It says, being, being, um, being God, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. In the King James verse, he, he thought it not robbery. He thought it not robbery. I think that that was very interesting. So as we read on, it says, but made himself nothing. You know, I, I was, as I was looking through this, I thought, what, what does God owe you? Think about this. What does God owe you? Do you live like God owes you something? Do you live like God owes you something? Now, if you really think about it, the first thing you'll say is, oh, no, 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 God doesn't owe me anything. I am humble. I'm a servant. I am this. I, I, I want to be humble. I go owe God everything. God owes me nothing. Well, you know, the interesting thing is, is that sometimes in our lives, we live a little bit differently. We live a little bit differently. Do our prayers consist more of God... Can I have this rather than God thank you for what I have? I do that sometimes. God, I'm really sick. You need to make me better now. God, I want this to change now. I need to know now. I want something now. We see in this perfect example that he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing. What does God owe us? He's already given us everything that we need in the person of Jesus Christ. And everything else, and everything else that He blesses us with, and everything else that He shows us, and all of the goodness that pours over us in our lives is that extra. Because what we have is we already have the opportunity for eternal life. And so, what about suffering? God saved me or God allows me? What about troubles? God allows me to have troubles and God keeps me from troubles. Think about that in your life. What does God owe you? Are you living that way? Lord, may you change our hearts so that we can truly become your servants. We have here something else. Taking the very nature of a servant. Paul is talking to this church. And you've got to remember something. Because they were in Philippi, they were Roman citizens, and so there was, and this uh, Roman citizenship is actually Paul that's, that Paul brings up a couple of times. You've imprisoned me, he says in, in Acts, you've imprisoned me, and I'm a Roman citizen. And they were like, whoa, we didn't realize that you were a Roman citizen, and it changed things. But what is it? Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. I can't stand up here and begin to even explain to you what that means. But can you imagine God coming down? And then can you imagine as you see the dissension, you see it, right? He, he, he was already in heaven and you realize what was going to happen. And then not only did he realize what was going to happen, it actually happened. And then not only become a human, he became a servant. And then not only a servant, he died. And not only a servant who died, he died 
the lowest form of death. He died on a cross. There's nothing that I've ever done that even comes close to that. And there's nothing that you've ever done that will ever come close to that. So when you read this part of Scripture, allow God to impress it upon your heart what exactly He's done for you in Jesus Christ. And do not forget the suffering. And do not forget what He has done for you and for me in the incarnation and the humanity of God dying for you and for me. And so if Paul had stopped there, what a sad set of verses this would be. But we know in point four, as servants of God, we are to be confessing His glory. And how do we confess His glory? Well, I would like to say that I could stand up in front of you and everybody who's a preacher, they're always confessing God's glory and that's it. No, you know, it has nothing to do with speaking. It really has very little to do with how loud or, or what someone looks like. What it comes down to is what we do with this life that God's given us. If we're servants and we're truly serving God, then our lives are going to reflect that of a slave who is doing the will of his or her owner. Does that make sense? So this is a battle, and we see this struggle in our own lives and the lives of others each day. I'm going to read this last part again. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Isaiah 45, 23 and 24 says this, Before me every knee shall bow and every tongue swear. They will say of me, in the Lord alone are righteousness and strength. In the Lord alone are righteousness and strength. And we know that every tongue confessed that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Why today are we serving? Why are we sacrificing? Why are we attempting to live a righteous life in Christ? Why? Think about what you do. Think about what you say day in and day out. And don't ever forget, it must be to the glory of God the Father. It must be. If it is anything else, then it will fall short. When you speak, when you move, when you hear, when you do the things that God has called you to do in your workplace, to the glory of God the Father. If, it is, if there is anything less, you're not fulfilling what God has for you to do. And my prayer for you today is this. that you will see a little bit more of what God has for you, that you will hear His voice, and that you will recognize that you exist to the glory of God the Father, and that anything else other than that is short. Anything else other than that is not of God. Let's pray. Holy Father, I thank You I thank you for giving us the opportunity to know you. 
I thank you for your word. I thank you for your love and your grace. I thank you for giving us the difficulties and the struggles in life. I thank you. I thank you that I can utter the words to the glory of God the Father. I thank you for this group of people. I thank you for bringing each of us on a journey. And I pray that each of us will find the true meaning, the true reason behind what we do. And that, as your humble servant, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love others to the glory of God the Father. In your name we pray. Amen.